If we go back to Second Samuel chapter 7, we see that the, the everlasting kingship, if you like, the kingdom, is through David and Solomon. Is that fair? That's correct. That's not open to debate because it says the one who will build this temple in my name. So we know quite clearly it is Solomon. Mm. In fact, the kings that followed, whether it was Rehavam and you go further on to Yota, Uzio, Yotam, they were all descendants of King Solomon. So, in fact, we, we know that. Uh, the reason people are confused about Solomon is that in, in, in Kings, uh, we have this disaster with Solomon in chapter 11. You know, we, I, I don't know about you guys. I'm sure we all love Solomon, you know, but there's an ambiguity of what happens to him because he married women that would bring idolatry mm-hmm. into the temple. But we have very clearly in Chronicles showing that it is Solomon that the line goes through. The promises made very clearly that he will be to me a son, I will be to him a father. Mm. And it's not that he won't make mistakes because the text, again, these are not my words, but the, the text clearly states that if he sins, I will punish him with the rod of men but I will not remove the kingship from him as I did from his predecessor. Now, this, these texts, these promises, just like we have in, in Genesis uh, 49 verse 10, does not mean there would never be an epic where there would be no king. What it's saying mm-hmm. is if there was going to be a king, or all legitimate kings would have to come from this line. So, for instance, there was a, a period of Babylonian exile, 70 years. Obviously, there was no king, and there was no king during the Second Temple period. There was no king except for the Maccabees. We just celebrate Hanukkah. But the Maccabees who reigned, the Maccabean period reigned for about 103 years. With, the Hushmanian dynasty. Yeah. But they hmm. actually inappropriately assigned for themselves, not the, the father, but as they went on, they assigned for themselves a, a position of, of kingship, which was inappropriate. And therefore, they suffered, and there's no one left of their descendants today. But they were Kohanim, they were priests, and therefore mm-hmm. had no right to the kingship. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. I mean, this is problematic for, for Christian theology, obviously. But, but if, if we, and, and you mentioned Paul, and Paul mentions that Jesus was born, according to the flesh of the line of David, uh, and if we go to uh, Matthew chapter 1, if we jump into the New Testament, we go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 11, I think it is. No, cha- verse 6, it does tell us that uh, Jesus was born uh, in the line of David and Solomon. So we're, we're winning there, right? I mean, this, is he still in the running? Well, you know, in Matthew opens with the genealogy, and it's very clear in Matthew 1 that it starts with, this is the first verse, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. So hmm. Matthew is setting, we don't, by the way, we don't know who wrote Matthew, but whoever wrote it, now it's called Matthew, uh, hmm. is trying to demonstrate that Jesus was eligible to be the Messiah because here's a genealogy. It's a, it's a 41-generation genealogy. It's very problematic. There are, in order to get his genealogy going and to get... 14, 14, 14, names have to be stripped from that genealogy. But setting that aside, only two books in the New Testament, or two writers in the New Testament, claim that Jesus was born a virgin. That's Matthew and Luke. Each of them have a very different plot device to get them born of a virgin in, get him born of a virgin in Bethlehem. But the key point is, if Jesus was born of a virgin, then the genealogy is irrelevant because that irrelevant. genealogy is the genealogy of Joseph, and therefore, hmm. according to if he's born of a virgin, Joseph is not related to him. Now, 
some Christians say, well, Luke is the genealogy of Mary. It's not in the text at all. That doesn't exist. There. They mm. just have to come up with that. In fact, you look at Luke one twenty-seven. it's jo- Joseph that was in the line of David, not Mary. So therefore, these genealogies are completely but, irrelevant but Luke, once you insert Luke the doesn't have birth. Luke doesn't have, uh, doesn't have Solomon. So, so we're at a loss there. We can't use Luke. Uh, it's Matthew that has David and Solomon in, in, the, right. in the genealogy. You know, Matthew's genealogy is also quite impossible. There's too few generations. If you look from Jaconia, Jaconia was, uh, let's say, died in the year about 612 BCE. So from 612 BCE, Matthew assigned 13 generations to Jesus. Talking about over 600 years, to have 13 generations, that would mean the average generation a person was having a baby around the age of 50 years old. So there's so many names that are stripped out, even Hmm. if we were to concede, because obviously the last segment are unknown names, uh, it would be impossible to cover 600 years and 13 generations, particularly in a time when the average human lifespan was maybe 25, 26 years old. Mm-hmm. So it's impossible on, on many different levels. Luke's genealogy in chapter 3 is at least more extensive with 56 generations. So in a sense, it's more plausible. Matthew's genealogy is impossible. Well, you mentioned you mentioned uh, Jaconia, or, or Kaniah, as some people say, and that, that takes us back to Jeremiah chapter 22, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Um, Jeremiah 20, Jaconia only reigned for three months. He was referred to as the Jewish Caligula. He was so evil, so wicked, that Jeremiah cursed him that none of his seed would ever sit on the throne of David. In fact, the person who will rule after him is Yehoyachim, instead of Yehoyachin. It's an M at the end instead of an an N or Mm -hmm. M. That's his uncle, his father's brother, in order to bypass the curse. And then it continues down there to Tzitkiyahu. So therefore, the curse creates a, a staggering problem because if, in fact, this is the genealogy of Jesus, then he's not eligible to be the Messiah because of the curse on Jaconia. Now, I, I debated a Christian once, a man I, I really respect, and, and uh, I raised this issue, and he responded, and Josh McDowell does the same thing in his book, Evidence of the Man's Verdict, and says, aha, that's the reason why you need a virgin birth, because if Jesus <laughs> wasn't born of a virgin, he would have been the descendant of Jaconia, and therefore ineligible to be the Messiah. But if, in f- fact, that's the case, then why introduce the genealogy? altogether that's not the genealogy of jesus it's it goes back and forth but uh, the verse that you're referring to is uh, jeremiah chapter 22 verse 30 thus says the lord write this man down as childless a man who will not prosper in his days for none none of his descendants shall prosper sitting on the throne of david and ruling anymore in judah but i've had a lot of people say to me what about king zerubbabel ah the, the answer is that there is no such thing as king zerubbabel zerubbabel who is the, one of two leaders, Ubaba and Yeshua ben Yehotzadak, are the two leaders that restore the second temple. Mm-hmm. The answer is Ubaba wasn't a king. He was a governor. So what you're saying is he, he never sat on the throne of David? No, he couldn't. And therefore, he's only a governor. He, the word kings of Ubaba doesn't exist, never happened in history. There were no kings during the second temple period. So he's a direct descendant of... Uh, I'm uh, thinking, but he never actually sits. So we actually see it employed. No child of Yehoiachin ever sits on the throne. It's his uncle, uh, it's his nephew, but never in descendant. And and Zerubbabel, which literally that name means seated in Babylon, is not a king. He's a governor. I, I should mention the fact there is a Jewish tradition. Christians, strangely, although Christians don't believe in the, in the Talmud, an oral tradition, 
they do appeal to an oral tradition on this thing. It really gets very interesting. So what happens strangely is that ordinarily Christians speak of the Talmud derisively, but when it when if it will save them, rescue them from a problem, from a conundrum, they'll appeal to it in a second. So sophisticated Christians will say, aha, but the Talmud says he was forgiven. That creates two monumental problems for them if they want to appeal to the Talmud. Uh, the first problem is unbelievable, and that is, therefore, Jaconia was able to atone for his sin without shedding blood. He was able to atone for his sin using Christian terms by his own works, by something that he had done. And number two is, we have here, it's the, the Bible says one thing, scripturally, Jaconia is never restored. None of his children ever sit on the throne of David. So that means that if you have an oral tradition that even that contradicts what the plain text says, these Christians will say, we'll go with the oral tradition, even though it, it contradicts completely what the written text says, which, and, and of is, course, so which is astounding. And this is the case in uh, Manasseh as well, the, the son of uh, Hezekiah, who was so incredibly evil. He was, uh, he was exiled, and in exile, he repented uh, without, a, without being at the temple, without sacrifice. He, he, he repented and was restored and returned to the land. I mean, there, too, is equally a problem for them, but this is what, they, what, what the Talmud is claiming happened for uh, Yechaniah. And this is what you're saying some Christians will lean on in order to get around the oh, yeah. problem of the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. But then once you do that, again, you are building a case against the virgin birth. So it goes around and around. Well, the virgin birth is a latecomer to Christianity. The earliest Christians uh, didn't believe in a virgin birth. In the book of Mark, the earliest of the four Gospels were introduced to Jesus as an adult. There's no mention of Jesus being where he's born, there's no mention of, I mean, Mark didn't simply forget to mention that part, but the letters of Paul are much older than the Gospels, First Thessalonians being the oldest, uh, from base probably about 49. I mean, Paul didn't just forget to mention that part. It's all, as, as a conversion of Jews to Christianity, and it then may not have been called that, but we'll just call Christianity, uh, will we'll basically end, and then it's almost all Gentiles. They're going to introduce ideas that are very well known in the past, in the world, such as the virgin birth. And that's why we only find it in Matthew and Luke. In fact, the notion that Jesus was born in Bethlehem is only mentioned by Matthew and Luke. Very different descriptions of uh, a nativity uh, a narrative, mm. but they both are going to have him born in, in, in a virgin. John is so late that his birth really is relatively unimportant because John's prologue, John 1 through 18, is now going to have Jesus presenting Jesus as never before, as basically pre-existent. So, he, so John attempts to bypass these, uh, uh, the, these problems that, that appear in the genealogy. So this is fascinating. So this, I mean, because as uh, Tobia says, it's clearly a latecomer, uh, or so it would appear, because Paul, who was written vastly before, uh, uh, decades before the, the Gospels, Paul says that, uh, that Jesus is a, um, a descendant of David. David according to the flesh, and so he he has no problem with that. It's not, an, and and it's strange, Tobia, that uh, what you have is the the genealogies, genealogies, and in both uh, gospels that have some kind of genealogy to to uh, tie together what what Paul has claimed, also then seem to want to negate that by adding the virgin birth story. It's it's a fascinating problem to try and solve. And uh, for many, many Christians, when I, when I mention things like this, they've never, ever, they never knew there was a problem there. They've never given it a second thought. They didn't realize that they had to play mastermind to make it all work. And uh, once you solve one problem, you've got another that you have to deal with. It's, 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 it's very interesting. Yeah. Well, once you've 
make one. If you have a perfect system, Torah Hashem Tumimah, the Torah of God is perfect. If you take any perfect system and remove one piece, it has a ripple effect, which means you start spinning in circles.